everybody. Welcome back to the Insightful Thinkers Podcast. Today is the first day of Black History Month, and Black history in the United States really starts, unfortunately, with the transatlantic slave trade, the largest long-distance coerced movement of people in history. From the late 15th century onward, the Atlantic Ocean, once a barrier that prevented regular interaction between the people inhabiting its adjacent continents became a commercial highway that integrated the histories of Africa, Europe, and the Americas for the first time. Regrettably, the new world was not built without ruining and often ending the lives of those at mercy to slavery and by afflicting the lives of so many of their descendants. The primary source for this episode is Eltis's 2007 article, A Brief Overview of the Transatlantic Slave Trade. What were the precursors that lent towards the slave trade happening in Africa? And, and that lent towards uh, Africans being brought to the new world. Well, there was some technological advancement happening around these times and uh, around the mid 16th century, there was a revolution in ongoing, excuse me, ocean going technology that gave Europeans the ability to get continuous access to remote people and to move them uh, over very long distances. So one was just the, the technological advancement that lent towards this happening. Two was the collective thought of the day in Europe. It was much cheaper to obtain slaves in Europe than to send a vessel all the way to a coast in Africa that had that lacked proper harbors and was remote from European political, financial and military power. The fact that this option, though, was not considered suggests that there was a European inability to enslave other Europeans around this time. Except for very few social deviants, Europeans would simply not enslave members of their own societies. So one was the technological advancement that led to this. Two was the, the collective thought of the time. And these are the things, just because there's technological advancement, it doesn't mean that that lent to slavery happening. But these are just some of the conditions that were favorable towards slavery occurring. So two was the collective thought of the day that Europeans had to travel elsewhere to obtain slaves rather than source slaves from their own population. And the other factor that was conducive towards the transatlantic slave trade was the wind and the ocean currents in the North and the South Atlantics. Um, so there are two systems of wind and ocean currents in the North and South Atlantic that follow the pattern of giant wheels. One lies north of the equator and it turns clockwise, while its counterpart to the south turns counterclockwise. The northern wheel is what largely shaped the North uh, European slave trade that was dominated by the English, whereas the southern wheel shaped the huge traffic to Brazil, which for three centuries was almost uh, exclusive to the most perverse traders of them all, the, the Portuguese. They were uh, responsible for about 40% of the entire transatlantic slave trade. They were bringing slaves primarily from Angola to uh, to Brazil, whereas the English were bringing slaves from mostly West Africa to the New World, to the Americas, or to the Caribbean. So just the way that the, the wind and the ocean currents were that shaped where slaves were being sourced from. And it's mostly Americans who listen to this podcast, so most of uh, 
if there are any African-Americans listening, most of th- this heritage would be from West Africa. It was, slaves were mostly being sourced from the banks of West Africa, and they were coming up to the Caribbean, uh, into Jamaica and places like that. And then they were also coming up to the Americas, Mexico, and, and the United States. So it's mostly sourced from Western Africa. Some of the early voyages, uh, the first a- Africans to actually, who were forced to work in the New World in the Americas, actually left from Europe at the beginning of the 1500s. They didn't actually leave from Africa. So there were a few uh, Africans who were in Europe and they were brought to the New World. Um, the New World, by the way, is the Americas. So new meaning that the Americas were new at the time of the transatlantic slave trade, which is, is just the Western world, essentially. There were few vessels at this time, though, that carried only slaves on these early routes. These ships also carried many other commodities, and they weren't dedicated slave ships at the very start of the 1500s. Now, the first slave voyage directly from Africa to the Americas probably sailed a little after that, about 26 years later, exactly 20 years later in 1526. So, And the slave traffic to Brazil, which eventually, as I mentioned accounted for about 40% of the trade, got underway around 1560. Sugar was what drove this traffic as Africans gradually started to replace the native uh, labor force on which the early sugar mills had drawn over the period uh, between 1560 to 1620. So Africans started to replace the natives as the slaves and the laborers, especially in Brazil. So this is all happening in the mid-1500s now. Now, the story would not be complete without mentioning, unfortunately, the agency of Africans themselves in perpetuating some of these dealings. So Africans were, they were, sometimes the Europeans were stealing uh, slaves from Africa, but most of the time they were purchasing them from merchants, African merchants. So there was an agency in from the Africans themselves and selling slaves to the Europeans, unfortunately. This agency of Africans has received less attention, though, from historians. But African merchants did trade slaves for goods on the coasts to the European ship captains. So there were the Vili traders of the Congo. There were the Efik. Um, there were also merchants within the kingdom of Dahomey, uh, the Aro Network, and the Ambangala. So there were traders. These were the traders um, that were selling uh, their own people, although we'll get into it later how it wasn't really their own people. They didn't consider other all other Africans as their own people. This is a sentiment that arose a little later on. But at that time, they were selling these other people that they may have conquered in war. But we'll get to that later. So during the early years of the transatlantic slave trade, the Portuguese, for instance, uh, generally purchased Africans who had been taken as slaves by other Africans during tribal wars. So it was a, it was an actual dealing that was happening here. But as the demand for slaves grew, um, the Portuguese actually began to enter the interior of Africa to forcibly take captives. As other Europeans became involved in the slave trade, uh, generally the Portuguese kind of took a step back and then they remained on the coast a little more and they went back to purchasing captives 
from uh, from other Africans. These other Africans transported slaves uh, or who they had conquered from the inland to the coast. Following the capture by other Africans, they were marched all the way to the coast, a journey that could be uh, as far as 485 kilometers and many Africans uh, who, who would eventually become slaves in the new world died just along this journey, let alone the journey on the actual slave ship that we're going to talk about later. You may be wondering, why did Africans sell their own people? These days, there is more of a pan-African sentiment that um, there, there's to be more of a uh, connection between everyone in Africa and they look at themselves as more of a continent. But back then, this simply wasn't the case. It, so the reason Africans enslaved and sold their own people has to do with the the conceptions of who was eligible for enslavement in the day. Africa is a much larger landmass than than really any anywhere else uh, with, with such a diverse population, and it's it's home to populations of of more diversity than anywhere else. You could, if you randomly select two Africans on from the world they will be more genetically diverse than two people selected from any other two parts of the world there's more genetic diversity within africa than between any other two regions of the world so really they you can see why they never looked at themselves as all being one really before this um so they had a different conception into as to who could be enslaved and who couldn't be. So they didn't have this continent wide conception of insidership that like the Europeans did at the time where we can't enslave other Europeans. We got to go elsewhere. Africans didn't have this same insidership. So there was a differential pace in the evolution of their sense of pan-Africanism that, that didn't, reach the rate of of the sense of pan-europeanness that was happening at the time where they figured we're all one as europeans we can't enslave other europeans africans didn't have this sentiment by the 13th century europeans already were no longer enslaving other europeans as they did before this um before this time the the 13th century in the 1200s uh people from northern europe were being captured by other Europeans and they were being sold in the South to prosperous Islamic areas. Once contact between Europe and Africa became more common at the beginning of the transatlantic slave trade, Africa, as I mentioned, did not have this sense of Pan-Africanism at the time to prevent them from seeing other populations within their continent as, as being outsiders. Um, so the Europeans, as, I, as I've talked about, have had reached this point already, and they could not bring themselves to enslave other Europeans at this time. So for these 400 years, when the Africans didn't have this strong sense of Pan-Africanism, it left a little gap. And this is another thing that was conducive to the transatlantic slave trade. It left a little gap for the ability of Europeans to get in there and take certain Africans out. The, the Africans hadn't developed this sense of being all as one that they couldn't possibly sell their own people. Um, so Africa really didn't exist as a concept for Africans in any sense 
really before the 19th century, let alone the 16th century when, when this was starting. Most people living in the subcontinent uh, south of the Sahara were prepared to quickly enslave others from adjacent or distant societies. These are like other parts of the world for the Africans back then. So um, they did. this is why they didn't have a problem in enslaving other Africans. So the point is that between the 15th and the 19th centuries, Europe and Africa simply had different conceptions of the people for whom slavery was inappropriate. The slave trade, unfortunately, had devastating effects in in some parts of Africa, as you can imagine, where the slave trade was happening. Economic incentives for warlords and tribes to engage in the slave trade promoted an atmosphere of lawlessness and violence. So just this atmosphere of perhaps you could be sold into slavery whenever. There was a, there was a lawlessness. There was a violence. Uh, there were violent outbreaks happening at this time. Also, the depopulation and a continuing fear of captivity made economic and agricultural development almost impossible throughout much of Western Africa during this time. They couldn't really develop. They were stagnating because there was like this underlying fear. There was the elephant in the room. There was... It was just, it was chaos with what was happening. When you were at risk of being sold, how can you possibly play a role in building up a country? So a large percentage of the people taken captive also were women in their childbearing years and also young men who normally would have been starting families. The only people who were left behind in these regions of Africa where the transatlantic slave trade was rampant were the elderly, the disabled, or the dependent. And they weren't as equally able to contribute to the economic health of their societies. So this is how some regions in Africa started to break down. So look, just look at how history, little things in history, simple decisions by certain groups of people to enslave other Africans and, and by the Europeans to come to Africa to enslave them. These little decisions can totally shape history. Um, even in this little 400 year window where the Africans just didn't have a sense of Pan-Africanism to not sell their own people. And and the Europeans, uh, they were no better just because they had a sense of Pan-Europeanness. They still were sourcing slaves from these other regions. So there was this, um, this unfortunate 400 year period where, um, just the two ways the, the nations were, were operating with the, uh, and just by way of the geology and, and uh, the patterns of wind and, and the ocean currents and so many little factors that go into this horrible 400 year stretch. And this is just the nature of uh, how history plays out and, and the effects of the reverberations of what was happening in this 400 year your period have not yet gone away and they may never will, unfortunately. What were the logistics of the actual journeys? Um, and they were very unfortunate to say the least and tragic and deadly. Slaves were chained together and usually uh, the low ceilings on the ships did not even permit them to sit upright. Um, the heat was intolerable and the oxygen levels were so low that not even a candle could burn. Uh, because crews feared insurrection, so mutiny or takeover or revolt by the slaves, the slaves could only go outside to the upper decks for just a few hours each day. And to allow for the largest possible 
uh, amount of cargo to be carried. The captives were wedged below decks, chained to low-lying platforms stacked in tiers, with an average individual space allotment that was six feet long, 16 inches wide, and three feet high. They were they were literally packed in there like animals. There was no room. They couldn't even move. They weren't able to stand or even turn over. They were just on their backs in this extremely small area. Many died in that exact position without being able to move. Imagine the claustrophobia. It's unbelievable what was happening here. The average duration um, from all regions of Africa was over two months like this with only a few hours a day to to get out to the upper decks. Filthy conditions also ensured gastrointestinal illnesses and a range of epidemic pathogens. Historians estimate that around 15%, estimates vary, but around 15% of Africans headed for the New World died on these journeys. So many bodies of dead or dying Africans were jettisoned or, or tossed into the ocean that sharks regularly followed the slave ships on their westward journey. The conditions were absolutely intolerable. Um, and you can see why uh, there were these revolts happening. And occasionally revolts were successful, especially in the case of the 1839 slave ship called the Amistad. Uh, the African captives sometimes were able to take control of these ships. So the most famous incident on the Amistad uh, it occurred in 1839 when Joseph Sinke led a mutiny of 53 illegally purchased slaves on, on this Spanish slave ship. So they killed the captain and two members of the crew, but they spared the life of the Spanish navigator so that he could sail them home to Sierra Leone. The navigator tricked them in a way, and he still managed to sail it generally northward. They ended up landing in the United States where the U.S. Navy seized them uh, off of the Long Island coast. Um, they ended up getting transported to Connecticut where slavery was legal. So these this crew was still possibly at risk of, of being enslaved. But the court ruled that because the slaves were purchased illegally, they were hence the victims of kidnapping. So they were granted the right to return home to Sierra Leone. It wasn't always um, a success story with some of these revolts, but many happened. Um, and uh, there were some successful stories like this, but the vast majority, there was no revolt. And uh, most of the, the Africans that were brought onto these ships made it to uh, their destinations to, to be enslaved, unfortunately. Uh, when did this slave trade end? When did this, this 400 period that I, there's, I've talked about uh, what was the end of this. Well, it's it started really, as we've talked about, because of how quick the contact was between Africans and Europeans. And this didn't really allow for any form of a gradual adjustment to be had between these two totally different cultures who were just coming in contact really for the first time. Um, so they, there had to be like... Uh, a merging of perceptions of right and wrong to develop over periods of time, uh, a merging of group identities and relations. These could not develop so quickly. So cultural adjustment just, it just wasn't happening in the early days of, 
of the slave trade. And the result of this was, was the rise of this, uh, this insider outsider divide. And that, that created this transatlantic slave trade. But over time, even the Europeans could not bring themselves to enslave other, uh, Africans. Whereas before they couldn't bring themselves to enslave other Europeans, eventually they could no longer, the abolitionists started to bring up points about how there, we can't even be enslaving anybody because we're all humans in the end. It's like a pan-humanness rather than just a pan-Europeanness. Uh, so the idea of, of increased contact is really what slowed down the slave trade and brought it to a halt in the end because even Africans started to... Um, see other Africans as outsiders. So it just takes time for these types of perceptions to develop, to slow down these things and for almost morality to develop in a way among populations. Um, the awareness of this insider-outsider divide within Europe coincided with the onset of the struggle to suppress uh, the slave trade and then slavery itself. So they started to See, now everybody is being insiders, whereas first they saw just the Europeans as, as all insiders. Um, now they started to see all humans as insiders. So nobody is an outsider. Nobody should be enslaved. So early in the 1800s is when things started to come to an end. The British uh, campaign to end the slave trade began. Charles James Fox, a British statesman, posed a question for the House of Commons. He said, how would members of parliament react if a Brit if a Bristol ship were to go out to any part of France and the Democrats were to sell the aristocrats or vice versa? This was the earliest documented example of anyone in power posting a posing a question like this. It was in the very early 1800s where these ideas about uh, or this increased morality started to develop in Europe. At the same time, in 1802, the Danes also passed legislation ensuring their own slave trade would become illegal in 1802. In 1807, the British government officially made the slave trade illegal, as did the U.S. government. Beginning in 1810, the British started to actually establish a network of treaties that allowed their naval vessels to detain ships of other nations the British actually committed 10% of their naval resources to suppressing the trade, despite being the leading slave trading nation just 50 years earlier. So there was a really rap, a real rapid change happening in the, in the 1800s here. Truly decisive actions against the traffic um, did not really come in everywhere until the 1840s and, and 1851 when the Cuban and Brazilian governments uh, started to take serious action against the slave trade. Once the Brazilian authorities began arresting slave ships where slavery and slave trade was rampant, once these authorities began arresting slave ships in the end of uh, 1850, the volume of traffic really slipped to levels that hadn't been seen for 200 years before that. So really the traffic couldn't fully be halted until there was an actual intervention by the government. Um, it couldn't be halted by naval action alone on the part of the British or just 
the what the British established with their naval naval fleet to shut down slave ships. It had to actually come from all these uh, participating governments and actual action had to be taken in that way, not just in the seas. By the 1860s, all governments started to cooperate to suppress the traffic. The last transatlantic slave expedition to Cuba, and uh, which probably came from the Congo River, completed its voyage in 1867. So this is really when it all ended. It is interesting that it ended, though, because the economic imperatives all pointed to a continuation of the trade. Everything was going just fine. Economically, if you looked at whatever statistics they had back in the day, it was all pointing to continuing the slave trade. It was beneficial for all the parties monetarily. But if it weren't for those who sought to suppress it, like the abolitionists and and, and these types of people, most of the millions of the people who crossed the Atlantic uh, between 1820 and 1920 might also have been slaves. So if it weren't for the actions of some of these some of these nations, then it could have continued well into the 1900s even. Over the whole period of the trade, some 12 and a half million slaves had been shipped from Africa and 10.7 million arrived in the Americas. Um, Really unbelievable how, and how we mentioned how this really is how black history uh, regrettably started in the United States. What was the influence of the slave trade on ethnic and racial identity? To close this one out, you guys, the major effect of the African-European exchange was to encourage this pan-African sentiment that we've talked about throughout the episode, at least among the victims of the slave trade. Africans began to think of themselves as part of a wider African group now. Um, And pan-Africanism, if I haven't correctly defined it or fully flesh it out. It's the ideas of unification and solidarity between people of African descent. So the us against them, whereas during the slave trade, it might have been Igbo versus Yoruba and we conquered you so we can we can sell you to the to the Europeans. It no longer became that. It became more general and now it became African as opposed to European. So they kind of came together in a way uh, and distinguish themselves from, uh, and this is a, a sentiment that still is, is developing. It hasn't fully developed yet, but Africans started to come together and that distinguished them from the European, the European white man rather than Yoruba versus Igbo. Kind of think of it as if, imagine if aliens uh, arrived on earth, would we still be battling as much between nations or would we all come together as humans to defend against the 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 alien who came in. So it's almost like your group broadens when when another group kind of comes in to change the categories a little bit. So that's what started this sentiment of pan-Africanism, is what the scholars think. Uh, once this other group gets introduced, it's almost as if the distinctions become broader. So this is how, um, this is really actually when skin color started to define ethnicity a little more because blacks were painted with a a large brushstroke as were uh, whites um, indirectly after they painted blacks with a a large brushstroke. So now it just becomes black versus white. There's no more uh, Yoruba, Igbo within the blacks. It's just the blacks were just stripped of their identity, especially, and you see that in in the United States. And and this is what happened. They've, They've 
uh, not by their own choice, of course, but they've taken the names of their slave owners, <laughs> James, Wilson, Washington. These are not the names that they yeah, came to the United States with or the New World with. They, they had their own tribal names. They had uh, whatever heritage just completely taken away from them. And that that can't disappear. And this scars um, generations upon generations of people who are descendants of these slaves when you strip their heritage like this. And this is why we're starting the Black History Month series with this. It's going to be four episodes, of course, for each Monday of the month. And because this really is the origin of the, of the black-white divide. Um, when you paint an entire population with such a broad brushstroke, you can't help but to identify them. They're all black, we're white. And this is where this divide starts when you, when you no longer care about the intricacies of where they actually came from. When people are stripped of their identities and, and they, they are given one. Uh, based on only the most obvious of features like skin color. And when you're defined in such a thoughtless way, you can be treated poorly for thoughtless reasons. So I wanted to start with the origin of black history in the United States today. Take it right to the start, the middle of the 16th century when slavery started, the middle of the 19th century when it ended. Not slavery, the, the transatlantic slave trade, excuse me. And... Uh, this is the start of it. It's scarred nation upon nation. It even scarred Africa itself. We talked about how they were giving away, in a way, their best people. And what was left was, was those who couldn't contribute to, uh, to African goals. And even before that, there was so much unrest that they couldn't, they couldn't build up their society. So those kings who were uh, taking over other tribes... The decisions they made also ended up harming their own land. And there were just so many intricacies of what was happening. And um, you can blame so many different parties. But this this episode wasn't really to point the blame to anyone. It was just to illustrate the history of uh, the start of black history in the United States. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, everybody. We are growing a community through word of mouth, as I say every time. So if you like this episode, just tell one or two people about it. Simple as that. You can also... Do all of the, the digital things. You can rate, like, comment, subscribe, follow. All of these things just help with the algorithms so we can be discovered more easily. But whatever you guys do to support listening and watching is always plenty. Thank you guys so much for tuning into the Insightful Thinkers podcast. We'll be back next Monday, as always, for more in-depth analysis into a diverse set of topics. Topics, excuse me. Black History Month next week. See you guys later. <laughs>